0: What is up, everybody? I am Chris Sinclair, and I am joined by my fellow co-host, Drew Garrison. We are a couple of self-proclaimed booze pundits with a lifetime of industry experience reaching back to the day of washing dishes and cleaning pizza ovens, all the way to owning multiple businesses and selling some of the most exclusive brands in the world. Our goal is to walk you through today's most interesting alcohol industry headlines while sipping amazing drinks as we do it. Drew, what are we covering today, buddy?
1: Well, man, we have, uh, all kinds of fun stuff to go through. Of course, we're going to kick things off with what we're drinking and getting us all excited. Then we're going to get into the FDA finally talking gluten, one of our favorite topics. Um, the lost sales that have happened with craft distillers across America and a whiskey brand that is honoring female bootleggers. Um, and then of course we're going to finish that up with our follow our dope follows of the week. And, um. Before we get to all those stories and our dope follows, Chris, what are, uh, what are you drinking?
0: <laughs> I am drinking series four of Respiral. It's uh, uh, this great agave uh, uh, mescal. I drink the coyote. It is fucking lovely and I just brought it into the store today and I love it. It is earthy. Um just like slightly fruity. It's got a tinge of smoke on it, but really like the, the, the viscosity is so oily and silky. It's just, it's wonderful. That's so
1: funny. Um, I was actually crushing some of their stuff on Friday night. Um, and they just do. They they really do do a great job, and it's a bunch of different producers that they've brought together in order to make their stuff. And um, oh, it's just super super tasty. And yeah, I'm and super it's, excited it's really, to hear that you have it. That's yeah, amazing. it's really
0: it's really good shit, man. and I'm, I'm I'm really excited about it. And it's um just goes to to you know increasing the the volume and the selection that we have at the shop. I'm
1: I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. You are getting to some alarming levels of agave uh, stuff. So what what series did you say it was from?
0: It was uh, Series 4.
1: Oh, nice. Which one was it again? The Respiral. Oh, no, no. Oh, sorry, I have the, sorry
0: the, the Coyote. Coyote.
1: Okay. So the ones that I was drinking were the Series 4, but it was their tempestate, Espadine blend and then uh, the Arcanio. And then just their single tempestate, which this was um, this was fun today. Speaking of tepestate, I was uh, doing the CRT certification course, which is the uh, Regulatory Council for Tequila, and uh, what they do is they just ensure that people are are actually following the guidelines to produce tequila and honoring that appellation of origin. And part of it was put on by a major major tequila brand. And, um, they had this really great guy who was talking about that brand and everything like that. And somebody had asked a question about agave growth and like how, how long they grow and stuff like that. And when you can still harvest it and he brought up, you know, Oh yeah, there's some mezcals that are like 35, you know, to 45 years old before they harvest them. And then he said it was Tepestate, which is, which is not true. At all, and uh, to his credit, he did tell people that he doesn't really know that much about mezcal. So, um, so that oh, was right. good. But then he did; he still said that though. And um, you know, it just it kind of goes into like that classic sales rep role of, oh, you read that note somewhere, and then you haven't really paid attention anymore, and you know that that's like not really true because we're starting to pay attention to the process, and, yeah. Um. But they're still kind of going around with that belief that like, oh yeah, that, you know, it's taking this long. It's like, it takes a long time. It doesn't take that long of time. <laughs> so, no. I mean, Tempestate and Tempestate
0: the long end takes 25 years, but typically it's like between, between well, like 10, 15 years.
1: Well, especially now that they're starting to like semi-cultivate it. Yeah. And they're actually able to like protect it from the elements and, and things like that. And again, it's it's one of those situations where for the longest time, you know, people are like, well, how long has that been growing there? I, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> right. seventeen, eighteen years, it all becomes irrelevant at that point, but now that they're paying attention. And again, it's it's the constantly growing, growing world of of Mezcal and Agave and you know again he did well, say I mean, just
0: I, just imagine growing up in an area where you're just, you know, wandering around roads, playing hide and seek in an area, you know, riding dirt bikes, uh, you know, Whatever games that you play in an area, and then all of a sudden, somebody comes around and goes, Hey, tell me about this one plant that's like sitting right here that you used to hide behind when you were like eight years old. Right.
1: <laughs> you know, like, right.
0: Like, like, how old is that? And you're like, Oh, uh, fuck, I don't know, but I'm going to chop it down and I'm going to make some dope booze out of it.
1: Yeah. It's been there for 35 <laughs> years, probably. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Whatever, whatever it takes to sell, you know, your agave, but. Right. Yeah, that was fun. Overall, really, really great uh, course, though. And I did pass, so now I'm CRT certified. It um, oh, took long enough. It, it, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but you're not allowed to talk about it, which is really funny.
0: You're not allowed to talk about being CRT certified?
1: Well, you're not allowed to put it on any official documents or anything. Like, they make you sign a waiver that... You can't like use it as a way to kind of promote yourself as like certified by the CRT. It's really interesting.
0: Literally the entire reason that you took this was that way you could, you know, add it to the end of your name. Right. And then at the finish of it, you're not even allowed to do that. That's correct. Well, good for you.
1: Yeah. um, But out of it, my favorite, because there's a whole list of things and terms and conditions that you agree to. And um, and one of them, which is like, I mean, I guess technically we would give them evidence right now. But it says, never run down or denigrate the spirit of tequila or or issue any disparaging comments in regards to either tequila 100% agave or tequila. So I am no (laughs) longer allowed to talk shit about tequilas.
0: Okay. But so – what does that mean though? Is that then they take away your certification that you're also not allowed to say that you have? I guess. Yeah. That's uh, that's that seems like a a failed a failed response.
1: I I do like the situation of them like coming after me and being like you don't get to be certified anymore and then it's like why? It's like cuz you think Sincoro sucks. It's like <laughs> I'd be like, worth it. Deal. <laughs> yeah. 100% in. Uh,
0: that's great.
1: Yeah. So <laughs> so I got that going for me, which is nice.
0: Yeah, it's fucking fantastic.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, despite all the, the agave talk, that's not what I'm drinking at all. Um, I'm actually, because it's it's been very hot here in the Sacramento area, but just doing a little gin and tonic, but a little spin on it and using Mahone gin, which is the only um, gin that still has a DO right now. And three cents, Aegean tonic, which is a fun tonic from Greece that has a lot of different botanicals in it that you can only find in Greece and has this really interesting um, flavor profile. And the gin itself, I know, I know cause that you're a big fan of it. Um, Correct. Cause it's delicious. And it's, uh, it's actually made from, uh, from grape distillate and they're called like pro and which is, which is used to make essentially the, the champagne of Spain, but then the juniper berries that they use for the botanical infusion, uh, are actually aged for two years. And, um, you know this. This obviously helps them like shrivel up and harden. But what they do is they have them sitting out on like these these deck areas, in in harbor areas of Spain. So then salt salt particles eventually settle on them, and they impart like this little bit of like salinity onto the juniper berries, which then comes through on the gin after they do their infusion. Which I thought was, really which is really cool. fun. Yeah, it's yeah. just like a fun I had, thing. I had, had no been, idea about that. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's just Mahon gin again. It's, it's the only gin that now has, that still has a DO and it also comes in like a really fun bottle that has one of those, um, uh, God, I don't even know what the term is for it, but it has the loop on it. So you can like put one finger in and then it's throw a it over handle. your shoulder. Oh, there it's you a go. Jug handle. Yeah. So it has a jug handle on it and you can, you can enjoy enjoy your gin, you know, as it sits on your shoulder and you just pour it straight into your mouth. Um,
0: If it's Mahone, I'm down.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, so that's what, that's what, uh, that's what I'm sipping on. I I
0: love Mahone gin. I mean, as a, as a, it's, it's honestly the only Spanish dry gin that I know of. Um, And it's still, speaks to Spanish terroir and Spanish culture, um, as a dry gin. Um, it doesn't get lost in like the English dry gin style or the new Western style. It's certainly a gin all its own. And despite the fact that the importer talks shit to me about a, uh, about a cocktail competition, I still like the brand. <laughs> I think it's fucking lovely. Um, I think that he just needs to calm the fuck down and uh, realize that people people have uh, differences of opinions, but that won't stop me from enjoying Mahon Gin.
1: Yeah, that was a weird time for all of us um, <laughs> when that went down. Uh, and and again, it's like you know, spirits are always doing competitions within our industry. And um, I think, I think, you know, a lot of them are, are trying to get the most out of them. You know, obviously that's what you're trying to do with any of these things. And then I think the prize for that was like a trip to Spain.
0: Oh yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a legit prize ish. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, but like, it, it, it was, was, the ask was a little intense.
0: It was super intense and the prize wasn't that well clarified. The issue was the response when I asked like, hey, when you're when you're asking for bartenders to give you their uh, their intellectual property and to put themselves out and to like spend money on your products and other products just just in order to compete. And your answer is, well, we only want people who care about us as much as we care. (laughs) I kind of want to call bullshit on that like like it's not up to you to decide that the people who compete for a competition are caring as much as you care you know and on top of it like it's their job too you know so you got to pay people what they're worth if they're investing in you and it just I don't know that was a that was a weird response when when he pretty much told me to fuck off
1: yeah yeah i'm gonna chalk it up to him having a bad day that's fine yeah (laughs) but um you know i think it's time for for us to share our opinion on facts that we've heard from reputable sources Ah! god i love that song it was good Uh, you kind of ruined for ruined it for me at the end but um So our our lead story tonight is talking about the FDA came out this past week and has now publicly stated that gluten does not survive in the distilling process, which changes their previous ruling that any alcohol product that was labeled gluten-free had to have started and from start to finish have no gluten involved in it whatsoever. This is a huge development for the spirits world. worldview for a long time. We have been clamoring and fighting for this gluten-free trend to settle down because gluten does not survive the distillation process. And it's just really, really great to hear. So Chris, when you saw this story, what were your thoughts?
0: Oh my God, I was so grateful. But then at the same time, I knew that almost nobody would read it. <laughs> I was I was so excited. Uh, legitimately, the only time I have ever been suspended from a job was getting into an argument with someone over gluten free shit and cider. It's so sad, but that sort of just seems correct for me. Um, I, as a glutard myself, uh, uh, have have oftentimes questioned my guests at the bar about what their sensitivities and allergies actually are. The problem is that fucking nine out of 10 times people don't know what the fuck they're talking about. They don't know actually what affects their bodies. They don't know what it is that makes them feel ill. They just say, well, I am celiac. And then when they go and define celiac, it's 100% wrong. Like it is not what celiac actually is. Or you say, hey, like what, what about these things have made you feel bad? And they just say, I don't know. I just had a thing one time. The issue is that being gluten intolerant and being celiac are two totally different things gluten intolerant, I I equate more to being uh, lactose intolerant. Okay, so you can consume milk, but it's going to be really uncomfortable for you and sort of everybody else that's involved. And that's where I fall. Um, celiac, on the other hand, your entire system shuts down when you when you uh, when your uh, kidneys and liver cannot process either a, a an oil or a starch that enters into your system. On the other hand, you could also still be allergic to certain oils. So you could be allergic to a wheat oil, you could be allergic to a rye oil, you could be allergic to a barley oil. All of these things come from the the same plants that would essentially lead you into a gluten-free lifestyle. But if you don't know exactly what it is that makes you feel like shit, and you're not actively trying to figure it out. I have almost like I have zero respect for you. Mostly because you just, I, I don't know how to convince you to care about your own life. You know, like like if you don't already care about your own life and you don't already want to know these things that affect your life, then I, I don't know how to convince you. The issue is when I try to have a conversation with you so I can offer you something or educate you and, and create an experience for you that is up to your satisfaction. But then you get mad at me for trying to figure out exactly what that is. The way I don't like, you know, kill you or I don't know, have you shit your pants while you're sitting at my, at my bar. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know what to do. Um, so having the FDA come out and, and finally put, you know, draw the line in the sand and be like, okay, this is it. And it's not that gluten doesn't survive the distillation process. What it is is that gluten is an organic protein. So essentially what happens when you're distilling is you're taking you're taking liquid and you're turning it into vapor. Right? So you so you you have a volatile chemical process. Organic proteins do not go undergo the same volatile process. They do not change chemical composition, Um, so it just remains a whole. So it's like taking a rock, putting it in the bottom of a still, and then saying on the other end of the the distillate, "Oh, this has rock in it." You're like, "Well, not really. Like, there's no like the rock just sits at the bottom of this pot, doesn't go anywhere." It's legitimately the same thing with with gluten. The problem, though, is like on the on the on the tail end, is is uh, shitty shitty whiskey makers, shitty barrel makers. They will sometimes like glue their barrels together with uh, with wheat proteins, and mm-hmm. uh, which has gluten in it. So you could reintroduce your gluten that way. Um, there's a there's only one, but there is a, uh, a caramel coloring that has gluten. That's a, that's part of it. Um, so, so you can introduce it that way. All of these are shitty versions though, right? Like, so, so really you're just looking at like terrible versions of alcohol that hopefully our listeners would avoid anyway. Um, but you know, just for posterity sake, we'll put it out there.
1: Um, and I, I do think it's important to point out that even with some of those people that are using some of these paste and stuff like that that the studies that have been done on them like their their the amount is so minute that it would be very very difficult for them to cause a reaction so yeah it's
0: it's super minimal
1: so so that is something to point out like you know so we don't want to give people too many um you know too much ammunition there, but you know I, I I definitely you know agree. I've never been suspended from a job or anything like that due to my feelings towards this. But um, <laughs> my my hope is that this will lead to a bigger conversation, and um, and you're right. I think there's largely like most things in our industry it will be ignored by the general public. But if we can get things changed and you can call these people out and, you know, and, and actually my follow today called out the rock for throwing gluten free on the, on the uh, bottle of Terramata tequila, because it was yeah, which is, which is amazing and great. And I really appreciate that um, because it, it, you know, again, these are when marketing people come up with this stuff and I understand that it tests well. And it's going to appeal to a certain person who, you know, believes they're gluten intolerant or or whatever, but, um, it, it fabricates issues within our industry that don't exist. And so when you sit here and you look at these situations and, you know, I had someone reach out to me when I posted about this story earlier in the week and kind of be like, well, I mean, and if you could have a situation where you can sell more bottles like, and you're just changing your label, doesn't that make it better? And, you know, doesn't everyone just want to sell more stuff? Like why not just change your label? And I was like, well, why should this industry be dictated by marketing people and dishonest people as opposed to the legit ones, you know? And so when you have things like a non-issue get brought into a realm where it's like, you have to address it. And so the thing that I brought up to him, cause he's, he's in financial management. I was like, that'd be like one of your competitors coming out and saying, Hey, we'll manage your money, but we're not going to bang your wife. It's just kind of like, Whoa, 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 what, what are we talking about here? <laughs> yeah. Like, So, yeah. so now as your competitor, do we have to address the banging of wives or, you know, <laughs> I thought we just saw like, that was, I mean, granted it happens, but like, let's, we don't have to publicly state that we're not going to do that. Right. It's like, no, 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 you better say it. Or I'm going to think that you're going to beg my wife. while managing my money. You know, like that's like, you've created this artificial problem that never existed before. Um, and that's where a lot of my frustration comes from. And then even with people and the, you know, the most infamous, I think, brand when it comes to gluten-free is Tito's vodka. Right. And oh yeah, the thought process behind it or, or – I've, I've literally heard people say this to me. They're like, I like Tito's because it's gluten-free. It doesn't give me a hangover. It's like, wow.
0: Okay. Yeah, those things don't equate in any yeah.
1: way. Right. Well, I mean, again, this is, this is the level – of people that we're dealing with. But, you know, what? again, what I'm hoping is, is that the FDA was like taking these steps that maybe there's an increased responsibility from the TTB, which manages all the labeling that happens in the United States, that they might have some different requirements coming out or they might ask more questions or maybe not approve someone putting gluten-free on their bottle. Um, well, I mean, it, it requires already to go
0: through the, it's like the same as going through getting the organic certification, like it it requires a certain investment in order to have that put on your label. So it's it's not that you just put it on there and and TTB goes, "Okay, done." It's you have to go through certification. You have to get tested, you have to like it has to be scientifically proven. But the fact that they felt that it was necessary, like you said, to prove that no one is banging anyone's wife is just kind of silly because obviously that's not happening in this situation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It would be, it would be like going to get a yogurt and your yogurt says like, doesn't contain Oak wood. Yeah. And you go, wait, other, other yogurts have Oak wood in it. Or of course poison. they don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, you go, yeah, you go and like, oh, I buy some milk, and my milk just says, "Hey, there's no poison in this milk." I'm like, "Am I looking at the rest of the milks?" Kind of being like, "What's up with you guys? Like, what's going right. on here?" Yeah,
0: totally. Absolutely. So
1: it's just, you know, it's, yeah, it's fabricating those issues, and you know, again, um, there was a lot of lot of celebration over the past few days with the FDA making this ruling. And again, you know, we're still going to have the same conversations, and we're still going to have those people who tell us that oh, I can't have this because it's made out of wheat and I'm gluten intolerant, but, you know, whatever.
0: I mean, look, I mean, really what it comes down to is, again, people need to know about their own health. Yeah. There are people who are allergic to wheat who might think that they're allergic to gluten, but it doesn't have to do with the gluten, it has to do with the wheat. Wheat oils will... uh evaporate. So they will make their way through a distillation process. So if you are allergic to wheat oils, then that's a completely legitimate thing to be concerned about. But you have to know that you can't just chalk it up to being gluten intolerant, because that doesn't count. It's an entirely different thing. So it's up to you, the consumer to figure out what's fucking up your life. (laughs) <laughs> Don't put it on everybody else to just assume that they fucking know what the hell you're talking about.
1: Right. Yo. Uh.
0: <laughs>
1: In our next story, and hopefully Chris pays attention to the chat so he hits our music cue a little bit quicker next time. Um... You know, COVID has had quite an impact on our industry, but one industry in particular that's been particularly uh, affected is what we consider our craft distillers in the United States. Uh, Craft distilling is at an all-time high right now. It feels like, you know, every two weeks a new craft distillery was opening up. But after a new study was just done by the Distilled Spirits Council of America, it found that through the course of this year, uh, there has been a loss of 41% of overall sales or roughly $700 million lost in revenue. And this is largely due to the fact that bars are closed as well as, um, distillery tasting rooms no longer being allowed to be open and, you know, just in, in the restaurants closed as well. So with this kind of information and, you know, your affinity for craft distilleries, uh, Chris, what's kind of your reaction to it? Do you have any possible solutions for this?
0: Ha! Uh, I I don't know about solutions. I what really pops out to me about this, um, it is m- my surprise at the reaction of like macro distillers and macro brewers. For a long time, we've been watching. Watching the the marketplace, I'd say probably the last ten years, um, we've we've seen large conglomerates or, or or larger brands sort of freak out over this new emergence of micro distilleries and micro breweries and micro wineries and micro coffee or fucking whatever it is that you got, um, and. For 41% drop in sales for micro, for, for, you know, craft distilleries to only equal, s- what was the number? Seven, s- um, $700 million. $700 million. I mean, seven, that's, that's a lot of money. But when we're looking at brands like Tito's and we're looking at brands like Bacardi and we're looking at brands like Jack Daniels, it's a fucking drop in the bucket. Um I mean, they will be individually hurt by that number, but spread across a bunch of macro brands like that like that's that's nothing. So so it's really interesting to me to see to see a segment of our industry that's been completely decimated based on the current um, current economic uh, you know problems that we we're, we're all undergoing. Um, and to see that that small amount caused such a hiccup or force these larger brands and larger companies to really try to pay attention and try to spend exponential amounts of money just to, just to absorb certain companies so that way they could either build them up on their own or, and, and profit off of them or crush them so that way they weren't, um, competition.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think this is, this has been something that has consistently come up over the past couple months and I've seen articles here and there and um, you know, with this recent boom in craft distilleries and, and again, we're, you know, we're talking about smaller, smaller producers and people who have only distribution potentially just in their own state or even just in their own area um, is, you know, with, with new places comes a lot of growing pains and, a lot of these places you know they they don't necessarily translate to other markets because there's not like that oh this is the hometown spirit so let's go and support them or if they're trying to get into different distribution markets one of the things that holds a lot of brands and companies back is if you're a producer in California and you make a really good gin, but that's all you make. Taking that gin and going into a different state, even as close as Nevada, when a distributor buys from you, they're trying to buy in pallets because it makes the most sense for shipping and everything like that. Well, a pallet of a single gin is really, really hard to justify for most distributors. Now, even if you extend that into multiple gins, maybe a vodka, you know maybe they have one whiskey that's super young it's really hard for these small craft distilleries to get going you know and then if you go on top of that and you eliminate the tasting rooms that's going to make it exponentially harder because again part of that charm and when people visit places they're like oh well this is the local brewery this is the local distillery let's go there let's check it out it's part of the fabric of the community well, there's only so much that you can do. And then with travel being limited, again, those places being closed, you know, there's going to be a big a big hit. And then if they don't have the distribution elsewhere, and maybe the product doesn't necessarily translate where it's just, you know, there's just times where this stuff isn't good, you know, it, uh, it makes it really tough on them. I did see earlier this week that there is actually a, a distillery down in Southern California that made an announcement on their Facebook that Uh, or maybe they're in mid-California, that with the current fire situation that we have going on in California right now where the the air is just toxic and extremely unhealthy to be outside and the heat that we're also dealing with, that they're just kind of like, we don't care anymore. We're we're opening inside. It's safer for our consumers. We need to make money. And they're kind of throwing caution to the wind in terms of the threat of COVID um, and blaming it on the threat of you know smoke in the air those kind of t- conditions and the heat and they're just opening and i and i not going to be surprised to see more and more industries do that just in general but especially like these small producers who rely on having these tasting rooms and abilities to go into the place and see the setup you know and I, I just think we're just we're going to see a lot more of that coming up
0: yeah, I mean I, I think um uh the the feeling of come get me, you know, um is is something that's growing uh, amongst people, especially in our industry, who just feel the need to exist. Um I and my own my own personal feelings aside, I think it really just comes down to what uh what their space looks like you know i mean i think going back to my personal feelings i think that if you if you make a statement like that you should back it up with why it's a wise choice other than just a fuck you come get me um because that just makes the fuck you come get me just makes us all kind of look bad, um, but if you if you say this is why this is a better decision and you show how you're keeping people safe, I think that's a I think I think I think there's a pretty large gray area there where you could get a lot of people behind you uh, to support you in that decision.
1: Yeah. And I mean, there, and there are things that you can do. Um, There's been a lot of States who have now approved the ability for these distilleries to sell directly from their distillery to, to to people. Now that of course that varies in, in every spot. Um, If you don't have that ability, you can always go to your local liquor store and be like, Hey, can you, can you pick up these guys to, to sell their product? Um, There's obviously all kinds of, uh, more and more liquor stores are adding online capabilities so there there are things that you can do that if you do want to see these places make it you know and you you know don't want to have them forcibly back back open and possibly put people's health at risk um, there there are things to do but it's it, it's unfortunate in the sense that there's been so much growth within this industry which you love to see but and there's there's going to be good places that are not going to be able to survive it, and there's going to be bad places that are not going to be able to survive it. And when you're these small companies, and you know these rules can come off as arbitrary and stuff. I mean, you're seeing it. Like you said, it's it's a it's a drop in the bucket for somebody like a Tito's or, or any of these huge huge producers, but for these small guys, you know, and these these passion projects that they have. Um, you know, it's it's tough right now. I mean, you're a small business owner. You totally get it. You know what this what this COVID has done to your business as well. Um, but you're still allowed to have people come in the door, like these guys. Right. Right. You know, girls are not. They can't even do that. So it's just a real. I, to be fair, if or,
0: I was if I was allowed to move my business outside, I would do that because I think we would we would have a lot more success if we were allowed to do that, but yeah. we're not. So we, we all live within the restrictions that we have. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and in our final story, and a little bit more uplifting and kind of cool, um, we have this whiskey brand that is called uh, Saint Liberty Whiskey. And it is partly owned by two women who actually used to be, who started their careers with um, um, Puff Daddy and his ultra premium Siroc. They went off to form their own company called, it's a spirits advisory company, investment company called Hands. And then they also became part owners in this, again, this whiskey called Saint Liberty, where Their focus for the next uh, for the rest of the year is going to be on a uh, series where they highlight female bootleggers and what their influence was on the industry as we see it today and how they're just you know pretty much underrepresented in in our current uh, industry. This is an article that you can actually find in Forbes and we're gonna obviously we're we're talking about it we're touching on it but there's an entire interview with Aaron Harris in. Sims, who are these two women who run this company, and it's really cool. A lot of really good information. Um, and again, we you know you're one of the things that we've tried to do at least on this podcast is highlight different people and underrepresented people. And you know we have a very minimal reach. Um, I think more people have heard of Forbes, so we definitely encourage you guys to check out this um, to check out this interview. But little, little
0: um, boutique magazine there for this you. little
1: boutique magazine. But you know you can learn about. Uh, Bertie Brown, who is a black homesteader from Montana, known for her moonshine. Um, so Chris, I sent this to you earlier. You read through it. What were your thoughts and, and feelings towards, you know, to this new venture that um, um, i and gonna, Aaron are doing?
0: I'm going to bear my soul here for, for a moment. Uh, thank uh, God. I, <laughs> initially, when I read it, I was like, okay, well, you know, who cares? It feels like a publicity stunt. But then I had to check myself and I was like, well, you know what? Like, maybe there's actually a legit story in here that is worth listening to and worth hearing about. Because honestly, when you think the image that pops into your mind, when you think of a bootlegger or you think of, you know, some backwoods distiller, it's like an old white dude with a fucking scraggly ass beard and a big ass hat and some shitty ass pants uh but that's clearly not what the makeup of America has been and it's i i think it's really important to reassert that fact because so many communities in this country have had their uh their bootleggers not even just in like in the foothills in Tennessee but we're uh, like even here in Sacramento um I personally know of of a house that was downtown that that's where it in a at that point in time was a, a pretty large Japanese community. And that's where people would go and get their their good brandy uh, because those were the people who made the dopest brandy around. And it was bootleg brandy. And it wasn't something that you just go buy from the store. You had to go, you had to go through there. So I think like developing these stories and really telling the history, um, and why, why this matters is kind of, kind of cool. The other part about, um, the interview that I really enjoyed was that they, they called out the McBride sisters, which is a company that I really enjoy out of SoCal. Uh, two sisters. Uh, they, uh, and I just learned this also through this interview was, which is the sisters didn't grow up in the wine industry. They just, they embraced it and marketed the hell out of their brands and created this amazing wine brand. And for sure, the, the wine brand, like the wines that I consume from them are not earth shattering in any stretch of the imagination, but they are marketed well. And they are delicious and they certainly like get the job done. Like I would never kick any of their products out of bed that I've had so far. In fact, some of them are just fun. And especially in our – how do I say it? In like our environment where everything is just so deep and heavy and then we're also – in this like hundred degree weather and nobody gets to be outside. Like I just want something that's like easy and fun and makes me kind of just feel good to drink it. And everything about that brand is that. And so it was really fun for me to see, see in the interview, they called, they called them out and said they were taking, they were taking sort of a page out of their book, which was really neat. And I, I think that I'm excited to kind of see what these, uh, you know what, what what these ladies have to do and and what the story is that they, they're gonna tell and how it comes across in marketing and, and more particularly in the juice. Um, because marketing is one thing but really it just comes down to what's in the bottle, right?
1: Yeah, totally. I mean and you know like you said they they started with uh with Sirac vodka and they really built you know, brand behind that. And you know, and I think it's easy to kind of scoff at something like that. It's like, oh well, it was a celebrity vodka. It was probably going to succeed. But they really did, you know, I I know a lot of people who kind of had that mindset. They're like, you know what, it's actually not that bad. <laughs> and uh, you know they came up with a cool product. And I think through through stuff like this and recognizing, you know, where you've been and highlighting those stories, even if it is marketing. Right, and if it's like appealing to a certain story that's that's very relevant right now, the story is still being told, and it's something that you weren't aware of before. And there's a lot of things where I wasn't, you know, aware of. And I'm and I'm looking forward to to seeing what they come up with and highlighting more of these people because again, you know, at this point, those stories need to be told, and whoever ends up being the source as long as it's legitimate, I think, uh, I think it's great. You know, who's dope them over there. All right, Chris, now it's time for one of our favorite segments and that is our follows of the week. Um, I'm going to kick it off this week and I'm going to start off. With someone who I actually referenced earlier in the episode, but didn't drop the name. And uh, he is on Instagram. What you're going to go do is you're going to jump on there and you're going to look up Agave Johnny. And so it's going to be Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y. And uh, what he is, is a spirits consultant. Uh, In particular, and I'm sure you can probably guess it, an Agave spirits consultant (laughs) who – who's from Canada, does trainings all over Canada and, and really, you know, he's, he's kind of all over the world. And um, what I love about him and anybody in a position like his is he doesn't limit himself to one brand or anything like that. He's really raising the entire category. So when you follow him, like you're, you're seeing him talk about, you know, La Venonosa or Gascoigne or um fortaleza or you know the or tequila ocho like and he's talking about books he's talking about bartenders he's really building you know the entire category i mean basically what this guy does is he just lives my dream life of you know having all these relationships and being so closely associated with uh agave in general and i just i i really appreciate people like this um Again, earlier to reference the CRT trading that I did and the brand that that hosted it, at, I always love to ask this question of people. And what I say is, you know, if you're not drinking your brand, what are you drinking? And for the most part, people kind of give standard answers and stuff like that. But, you know, today's example, it was like, oh, well, I really enjoy Tejona tequilas. And so... I try, to, I try to drink other Tejonah tequilas, but I really think that our Tejonah tequila is just – it's right up there with it. It's just kind of like shut the f-, f up, bro. Like I just – I can't take you seriously anymore. But somebody like an Agave Johnny, he's talking about everything. So then I take his opinion a lot more serious because I'm like, you know, he really does drink all this different stuff. And so I know that I can kind of be like, oh, he recommends this. This is kind of in this wheelhouse that I want to check out. Let's make it happen. So, um, so I, I just appreciate people like this in our industry because, you know, so many people are just shills for their own stuff. And anytime that you have people who are raising an entire category and celebrating an entire category on a professional level where they actually get paid to do it, not just some, you know, I'm a, a Gavik or a tequila connoisseur and stuff like that. Like, no, 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 this, this guy like legitimately enjoys it. So, so that's my follow this week. Chris, what, what's your follow?
0: I, I get pretty annoyed as you and I have both mentioned with people who are unwilling to like make a stand uh, with what they like and what they don't like. And when the only thing that they like is their brand, I just, I have zero respect for the words that are coming out of their mouth. And, (laughs) and when they like tell me a thing, honestly, nine times out of 10, I just shrug it off. I'm like, yeah, okay. I'll, you know, I'll ask somebody who I actually trust. You know, like if you if you inform me about a thing, I'll go okay. Well, I'll I'll ask so and so who will actually give me their opinion. Yeah, right. And yeah, you and I both know these people who jump from brand to brand, and they drink the Kool Aid, and that's fine. Like that's that's good for you and good for your job and good for the brand. But when it comes down to like folks like us, which are obviously rare. Uh, um, It's annoying because I know you drink other shit. Just tell me something honestly, right? Yeah. Like you don't need to name a brand, but tell me a thing that you don't like and tell me why you don't like it. Some aspect, like you don't need to name names, but just say, I don't like this. Like, why do you like Tahona brands? What the fuck does that even mean when you're saying that? about a coffee (laughs) you know like you enjoy the fact that this shit is stone crushed like why what like as opposed to what like name something else that's not um or give me a few other things that are you know and like and add context to the conversation i i get really irritated about that so i i already followed uh, uh your follow and i'm very excited about it um because i have a lot of respect for people who are just willing to actually say what they think and not be afraid of losing a sponsorship in the future you know it's uh it's like those guys that i meet who are like well i don't want to i don't want to date this girl necessarily or go home with this girl because maybe the friend that she has in the future might might be my future wife and honestly i just want to slap the shit out of them and it's not just guys it's girls that's an it's,
1: oddly uh, specific example
0: Oh, it's a very specific example, and it's exactly <laughs> what it makes me think of, and it annoys the shit out of me. Um, you know who you are if you're listening.
1: That's so funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, man. It's just, it's. I, I know that I've I've probably definitely closed some doors on on future opportunities for myself, but but honestly, those are doors that I'm totally okay with being closed. So, yeah, I
0: mean I, I mean honestly like you can you can be charismatic and you could be you could be diplomatic about it and, and, and but like add context to a conversation. Don't just say, "Well, this is our thing and this is what we do, so here's what I'm here for." Like, fuck you, give me context and give me like a situational conversation. Don't just blow smoke up my ass and accept me to and expect me to just accept the fucking words that are coming out of your mouth.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So who, who are we following for you this week? Uh, mine is, is
0: often fucking left field uh, it is not booze related even a little bit, but I got to tell you in this time and age, and every time I come across their Instagram feed and, Admittedly, their Instagram feed is sort of like a secondary thought from their TikTok. But I'm not on TikTok because I'm almost 40. Um, (laughs) uh, uh, But their Instagram feed is MK Razzy Barbas. M-K-R-A-S-Y-B-A-R-B-A-S. Okay. And it's a a couple that just does uh, like shuffle dance videos. And that's all they do. And they, like, they break them down. They show people how to do them. And it just makes me so happy. They're they're a Spanish couple. They're fucking in Spain somewhere, just fucking living their best life, doing dance videos in their apartment. And it's great. And it makes me so happy. And it's so silly. It's ridiculous. They come down to, like, 10, 15-second videos. uh, And they're awesome. And if I was... I don't know, more enthusiastic. I might actually try to learn how to do those things because their videos show you how to do them. But really, it's just dope dancing in like 10, 15 second segments. And it's just like a nice pick me up in the day.
1: That is so like I'm I'm actually really disappointed that you don't try to do any of these dances as I'm watching. yeah, them. we might we
0: might have to I might have to like find one that I could actually do and then we we might put one out um, but you have to do one with me if that's the case. so okay I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do it by myself. It's gonna be both of us.
1: We can look awful together. I'm in down. okay well, you know those are some pretty dope follows.
0: I think so as well. The Good Bottle Podcast is a production of Fluid Concepts, edited and researched by these two guys. Music is by two talented brothers and moderated, uh, sorry, of moderate handsomeness. There you go, Leon and Chase Moore. <laughs> Before we go and kill these bottles that we've been drinking, we ask that if you enjoyed this episode, please smash that subscribe button and leave us a five star review. Five star review because you know, Obvi.
1: Yeah, we're definitely crushing it today. Uh, You can also follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Just look up The Good Bottle Podcast.
0: If you would like for us to cover a story or if you are affiliated with a brand that wants us to to, – that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com.
1: And as a reminder – you can purchase all, both of the bottles that we drank tonight on, uh, on the episode. You can find those at goodbottleshop.com. And until Hell next time.
0: Oh yeah, you can!
1: <laughs> oh, cheers, buddy.
0: <laughs> cheers, homie. <laughs>